I don't think that uh, it would take anybody by surprise to realize that our culture is so obsessed with food and dieting. In fact, I'm told that in a given day in the United States, one-third of the population, that's one-third of the population, is on some sort of a diet. (laughs) There's always one thing you can be certain of, that there will be more people going to be on a diet tomorrow than they are on a diet today. (laughs) Have you noticed, actually, how people announce that they're going to go on a diet after a huge meal? (laughs) (laughs) And as I was reflecting on this and looking at our passage for today, I I understand that our culture is just so different from biblical culture, and our mindset is so different from that of the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and to whom He was speaking, and how important it is for us to really try to grasp what Jesus is trying to say when He said, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are in the midst of a series of sermons entitled, The Master's Manifesto, from the Beatitudes. And when Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, his hearers could easily not only relate to physical hunger, not only relate to physical thirst, but they also can relate that same physical feeling to spiritual things. It was much easier for the people in Jesus' day to relate to hunger, to relate to thirst, than those of us who are living in this abundance in the West. To them, food and water were an absolute necessity, not a luxury that could they do away with or take less of. In biblical times, both food and water were so scarce that they never, never, never wasted them, nor taken them for granted as we do. So when Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, his hearers immediately understood that righteousness is not a luxury, but a necessity. That holiness and that seeking what pleases God and that going after God's heart is an absolute necessity for spiritual life as the food and the drink for the physical life. Now, going on a diet back then would be as strange as you wake up one morning and have no phones, no cars, no computers, no electricity. I mean, none of these things that are necessities of life. They could not relate to it. Righteousness is not an optional spiritual supplement, but an absolute necessity. Hungering for righteousness Thirsting for righteousness is as important for every believer in Jesus Christ as the food and the water. You can no more spiritually live or even survive without righteousness, spiritually speaking, than you can without food and without water. Now the ancient world was plagued with famines and they understood the value of food. They understood the value of water. Back then, if you owned a well, you are the most blessed man in the whole world. Rome itself experienced a famine in the year 436 BC. It was so severe that thousands of people literally threw themselves into the Tiber River in order to drown rather than die of starvation. And I dare say none of us understand what it is to suffer starvation. We don't know what it's like. I fast for spiritual discipline one day a week 
24 hours a day. But that's nothing. It's just a discipline. It's an exercise in discipline. But I've never been completely deprived of food. None of us have. The poorest of the poor can go into a soup kitchen and get a meal in this country. But what I'm talking about something far greater, something that is beyond our imagination. And the people to whom Jesus was speaking understood what it is to be hungry and you can't get any food, what it is to thirst, to be dying of thirst, and your throat is parched and you can't even get water to drink. They knew exactly what he's talking about. Now, I'm told there are four stages of starvation. It begins, first stage, by irritation. (laughs) And then it goes to exhaustion. Thirdly, to depression. And fourthly, it goes to lifelessness. And Jesus is saying that if you do hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. That's one hunger, that's one thirst you can be sure of, you're going to receive from God. But if you let yourself spiritually starve, or if you let your hunger for righteousness be satisfied with fake food, then make no mistake about it, you're going to go through these four spiritual stages. And eventually, you spiritually will die. Someone may say, well, what do you mean by fake food? Let me illustrate it this way. Native to Central America, there is a plant known as the nardu plant. That plant, if you eat it, it immediately fills you up. It gives you the sense of satisfaction. You don't feel like you want to eat. You don't feel like you want to drink any more water. It fills you up. And not many years ago, a group of Englishmen were going through the jungles of Central America. And as they were going through the jungles of Central America, they relied completely upon the Nardu plant. And they died of starvation because they were not aware of the plant's deceptive character. Listen to me, please, very carefully. When you and I settle for anything less than the righteousness of God, we could die of spiritual starvation. If you rely on your church membership, you will die of spiritual starvation. If you rely on the preacher or a minister or a counselor, you will die of spiritual starvation. If you rely on rituals and ceremonies, you will die of spiritual starvation. If you rely on your fame and fortune, you will die of spiritual starvation. If you rely on your Christian reputation and think that this is going to carry you through, you will die of spiritual starvation. And if you apply these four stages of physical starvation to the spiritual realm, to the spiritual life, you're going to discover the following. First of all, you're going to become weak and you're going to become irritable. And you become susceptible to viruses of temptation. Are you irritable? Watch out, you're in the first stage of spiritual starvation. Here's the signs of irritation. Oh, the church is not the same as it used to be. The preacher's not preaching right. The singers are not singing right. The ushers are not ushering right. The deacon's one deacon, he can't trust the trustees. (laughs) If this is happening to you, take notice. (laughs) You are hungering after the wrong things. You are not hungering after righteousness. You are not hungering after Jesus. You are not hungering after the gospel. You are not hungering after the kingdom of God. You are not hungering after the glory of God, what is honoring to God and what brings glory to His name. And the next step is going to be the second step. You'll become spiritually listless and you'll become indifferent. You say, who cares what happens? 
And then the third stage, you become spiritually depressed, and fourthly, you spiritually die. <laughs> I thought of an old farmer who saw in the bulletin, the church bulletin, that his pastor was going to a conference for all the preachers. And the title of the conference was, How to Bring People into the Church. How to Get People Come to Church. Well, I tell you, this farmer picked up courage and went to the pastor. He said, now, pastor, <laughs> that sounds strange to me. He said, I've never heard a single speech in a farmer's convention <laughs> on how to get the cattle to come to the rack. <laughs> he said, when we get together, he said, we spend the time discussing the best kind of feed. We can learn from this farmer because, unfortunately, we are the generation where we see so many churches that are anxious to entertain, churches that are anxious to please the ascetics, churches that are anxious to give fancy food that has no nutritional value in it. There are many churches that are anxious to serve a feel-good type of food. There are so many churches that are anxious to serve fake food. But Jesus said, unless you hunger for righteousness, unless you thirst for righteousness, you will never be satisfied. Not so long ago, I heard a story about a lady who's a gourmet cook in Miami, Florida. And one day, just for a laugh, decided to serve dog food as hors d'oeuvres in a party at her house. That's a true story. She, of course, worked very hard to make it Appealing to make it appetizing. <laughs> and told no one. You guessed it. The people couldn't get enough of the stuff. <laughs> they ran out in the first ten minutes of the party. Please hear me right. Just as God created us with hunger and thirst so that we can survive physically... He also created us with spiritual hunger and thirst for righteousness so we can survive spiritually. God created us with an inner longing to be filled. God created us with a deep, felt spiritual hunger. God created us with an inner passion inside our souls. God created us with a deep longing for fulfillment. Years ago, a lady came into my office and she said, I'm going to leave my husband because he is not fulfilling me. I looked her in the eye and I said, God forbid that your husband should fulfill you. Jesus should fulfill you. Now I'm not hearing too many amens. God bless you. But here's the good news. The presence of hunger and thirst is a sign of life. The good news is that you're still alive if you're hungry and thirsty for God. Unsaved people have no appetite for God. Unsaved people have no appetite for what glorifies God. Unsaved people have no appetite for what is honoring to God. And the problem is that they seem to be pulling the believers down to their level instead of us lifting them up to our level. And Jeremiah tells us that when people thirst... For the living water. But instead of going to him. They dig for themselves cisterns. He said these are broken cisterns. These are cisterns that are not going to hold water for much longer. These will not take water for too long. It will run out or run dry. It is tragic. That when people hunger for God's righteousness. They attempt to fill that void in their lives with the wrong things. 
the prodigal son who wanted to be a big shot. And he's told his dad in the vernacular, the use of translation, you're a stupid old man, I want out of here. And his dad let him go. And then when he ended up starving, the Bible said he was beginning to fill his stomach with the husk that was offered to the pigs. Incredible insult to a Jew. When he left home, he was so full of himself and he says, give me. But when he came back, he says, make me. Make me. Make me, God. Make me. I pray that this will be my prayer and your prayer. Make me. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I know. As I look around, I see people hungering and thirsting for other things. Even if you look at the Olympics and you see a few people who are hungering and thirsting for gold. And the rest of them are just clapping their hands. You know, that's the problem of the church. There are very few who are hungering and thirsting for God. And the rest are just spectators. And they're watching it on screen. There are so many people that I see in my life. They hang on every word that Dr. Smellfungus may speak. They wait with an abated breath for Bishop Screwball and what he has to say. There are people who live by Dr. Knuckles' words. And I want to declare it publicly, hold me to it. Any preacher, any minister, any theologian, any counselor who does not point it to Jesus Christ and to His Word, he is fake, he is fraud, and he's filled with falsehood. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are the ones who are truly going to be satisfied. They are the ones who are truly going to be contented and fulfilled. Nothing else is going to satisfy you in life. Listen to me. Nothing. You can try everything in the world. You probably have. Nothing is going to fill you but Jesus and His righteousness. I want you to notice one thing, and it hit me. Back last Tuesday as I was reading the text very carefully, it hit me like a lightning bolt. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who are full of righteousness. Thank God. There are a lot of people running around and think they're full of righteousness. And the Bible said our own righteousness is like a dirty rag in God's sight. But he said, blessed are those who thirst, those who hunger for righteousness. Well, by now some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, what is righteousness? <laughs> Tell us what is righteousness. Well, the Bible gives us two applications. The meaning of this fourth beatitude in the Master's Manifesto. Two applications. The first application is this. When a lost person recognizes that he or she is lost. When a person recognizes that he or she is a sinner. When a person recognizes that he or she is a lawbreaker. When a person recognizes that he or she have nothing to offer God for their salvation. And they will never make it to heaven based on their effort. When they come to that point and recognize that only through what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, and He is the only one that who kept the laws perfectly, and that through His shed blood is the only way that I can get to heaven. When you come to that point, that is the first stage and the first application of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Recognizing that my righteousness ain't going to do it, ain't going to cut it, but God's righteousness is going to get me to heaven. That's the first application. That's the first stage. 
But once you're saved, hunger and thirst for righteousness does not stop there. If it stops there, then I want to tell you, it is the greatest tragedy that can be imagined. And I know there are millions of Christians out there who think, well, hunger and thirst for righteousness stops with salvation. Once they made their profession of faith, once they were saved one day, someday, back yonder, it's all over. They live any way, which way they want to live. But I want to tell you, and this is my opinion, not from the Word of God, but it's my opinion. I personally would question their claim of salvation. I would question if they really are saved. If they cease to hunger and thirst after God in their walk with Christ, there's something wrong with their claim. I'll give you some illustrations. Which brings me to that second application. I have never been and I've never conducted a wedding in which the bride and the groom come forward and they say to each other, I do. And then they walked outside the door they said goodbye to each other. Now if I tell you that such a wedding had taken place, you would think it's the weirdest kind of marriage there is, right? But a wedding is a first step. Just a salvation is the first step. A wedding is the first step of a long life relationship. A long life. It's a beginning of a life of adjustments to one another. It's a long life of surrender. Nothing teaches sanctification like married life. I can tell you that. (laughs) You know what? I I personally think that at weddings they ought to sing, I surrender all. (laughs) (laughs) What I want to tell you is this. A wedding is not the end, but the beginning. Salvation is not the end of your thirst and hunger for God. It is the beginning of thirsting and hungering for righteousness. You never see a mother who brings a baby into the world and says to the baby, Now baby, I've carried you for nine months. Now that you're born, you fend for yourself. Oh, that would be crazy. In the same way, it works spiritually. This is the beginning of a precious life that needs nurturing and growing. Believers who never hunger and thirst for righteousness have something drastically wrong with them spiritually. Listen to me, please. I love you, and I'm telling you this out of a heart of love. And this is why the psalmist could say, As the deer panteth for water, so my soul longs for you, my God. Some historians have said, that the deer were constantly panting in the land of Israel because they're always being chased by dogs. And therefore, they're always panting and looking for water. And I know and you know how many pressure dogs are after us in life. And we're constantly running away from them, panting. And we need the living water. But I want to tell you closer to the truth. What makes a deer in the Bible land pants for water? is that the deer tends to eat snakes. And when they eat snakes, the poison inside in their internals is diffused through their internals, and in their internal system. And they produce a burning sensation, a fever-like feeling in the deer. And nothing, but nothing, but nothing is going to take away that fever, that feeling of fever, until they get to the brooks of water. Is this how you feel when you come to God? You thirst and you long and you hunger for Him and for righteousness as you come to Him on every day. 
I know and you know we live in this fallen world and we're forever swallowing the snakes of sin that tend to cut us off from the living water. We are forever eating the poison of pride. Forever we're eating the poison of self-sufficiency. We're forever eating the poison of self-pity and self-centeredness. And only the living water can actually give us the relief from the sin at which we live in. And when we hunger for the bread of life and when we thirst for the living water, Jesus satisfies us and brings healing. He comes and satisfies us and brings us forgiveness and cleansing and restoration. Jesus comes and satisfies us with his unique comfort that nobody else can give us. You know, you often hear people referring to someone and they say, well, he's ambitious. She's ambitious. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Only a lazy person has no ambitions. God created us to be ambitious people. God placed in us the desire to be ambitious. Hear me right, please. You can satisfy that desire with wrong ambitions or you can satisfy it with the right ambitions. Make no mistake about it. All of us, all of us will hunger for something. There are some who hunger for power. There are some who hunger for pleasure. There are some who hunger for possession. In fact, the Bible tells us the greatest example of someone who hunger for power. Lucifer, the bright star. When he stopped serving God, when he stopped honoring God, when he stopped glorifying God, and in his soul his ambition turned to be God... He was thrown out of heaven. And anyone who hungers for power for its own sake is fulfilling his or her hunger with perverted ambitions. And power-hungry people are everywhere. They're in the schoolyards. They are in the homes. They are in the businesses. They are in politics. And they are in the churches. When Lucifer made his move to grab for power, God chopped his hand off and threw him out of his presence into the abyss. And then Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, gives us an example of someone who hungers for pleasure. I think if you read that story any other way, you miss the point. This man, Jesus tells us, was so blessed of God. But instead of giving away some of his blessings as so many of you do in this place, this man decided to take it easy and worship at the shrine of pleasure. This man decided to build larger and larger storehouses for his blessings in order to take it easy. This man said to himself, I am going to be financially independent, not so that you can help others as so many of you do. No, but so that because he wanted to have more and more so that he can enjoy the pleasures of life. Here's what this man said to himself. He said, I'm going to hoard it all so that I can have all the fun in the world that any man can have in two lifetimes. You know what God said to him? In verse 20 of Luke 12, God described this man in one word, a fool, a fool. 
I love it. The Lord has a way of cutting through the gibberish. You know, just get to the point. <laughs> Express himself very clearly. Fool! <laughs> Tonight your life has been taken out of you. And what you have, whose is it? Who will it be? When Lucifer became power hungry, God brought him down. When this man in Luke 12 became pleasure hungry, God called him a fool and brought him down. And then there are those who hunger for possessions. A rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Master, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knew that this man's problem was not the observance of his religious activities. Jesus knew that this man's problem was not the keeping of the religious facade. Jesus knew that this man's problem was not the appearance of his outward religiosity. No. He knew that this man's problem was that he is so attached to his possessions that he was willing to sacrifice heaven in order to hold on to it. He thought he could hold on to it. And that's why the Bible said, and it really is a heartbreaking story when you think about it, The Bible said he went away sorrowful. (laughs) He went away sorrowful. Because Jesus told him to give up what is holding him from coming to heaven. You know, there's one thing about possessions. There's nothing wrong with possessions. As long as you remember that they really possess you. You don't possess them. Hunger for power. Hunger for pleasure. Hunger for possessions. They're all around us. They're trying in every way to stick to us. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they and they and they alone are going to be satisfied. When God created hunger and thirst in our soul, back yonder in Adam and Eve, he knew. He knew that he is the only one who can really satisfy that hunger that he has created in us. He gave us a choice. We can choose to fill it one way or the other. And when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, when we hunger and thirst after holiness, when we hunger and thirst after purity, when we hunger and thirst after that which is pleasing to the Lord, Jesus said, you will be satisfied. You will be filled. You're going to be filled with the peace that passes understanding, even when everybody else is in chaos and confusion. You shall be filled with praises and thanksgiving, even in the midst of your pain. You're going to be filled with goodness and mercy and the favor of God, even when everybody else in the world is fretting. No one can take that away from you. From everything I read, that a person who is starving is often consumed with one passion, and that's to get some food in his stomach. When a person is thirsty, he has only one passion and just get some water. Inspiring and magnificent music is not going to deter them from their hunger and thirst. The most magnificent of natural scenery is not going to deter their quest to be filled. When Esau was starving and he came home, he gave up his most prized possession in life, his birthright. For a bowl of soup. That's what happened to those who thirst and hunger. And Jesus is saying, when you thirst and hunger for righteousness, you will be fulfilled. When your heart hunger after God, 
God is going to give you that contentment. When your heart hunger for the righteousness of God, nothing else is going to fill it. I want to tell you, a glass that is filled with mud cannot take milk in it. You have to toss it out and you have to wash it and then put the good thing in it. And we, as the people of God, we tend to fill our lives with all kinds of junk that the world seems to throw our way. You heard the statement, you are what you eat. And I want to tell you this morning, you are what you believe. And the Lord Jesus Christ is calling upon each one of us today that we may empty ourselves of that junk, be washed by the blood of the Lamb, be cleansed and filled by the Spirit of God. I believe the Spirit of God wants to fill every believer. I believe that with all my heart. But what holding the Spirit of God is all that junk that you have filled your life with and that often I try to fill my life with. And the Spirit of God saying, I can't get in. I can't get through the door. This is a holy moment. It's between you and God, and God is speaking to you. Holy Spirit of God has convicted you today and saying to you, empty yourself because I want to fill you. I want to fill you with what is lasting. I want to fill you with what is everlasting. Will you do that with me? Empty ourselves in order that the Spirit of God would empower us afresh. Fill us to overflowing. And that we become blessings to everyone with whom we come in contact. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the open door policy that we can come to you at any moment. We thank you for Jesus who opened that door and made it possible for us to come to you. In confession, our Heavenly Father, we confess to you. All the many things in life that filled us and occupied space that should not have been occupied by these things. And we have kept your spirit out. And Father, we confess and we ask you to forgive us today. Holy Spirit of God, wash us and cleanse us through the blood of the Lamb. And then fill us to overflowing. Let everyone who made that covenant with you today remain faithful in the coming days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.